Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay Hey, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett-Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for the spring weather, even though in Florida, it will be summer before I know it. As of this recording, I am 335 days sober, or 11 months to the day, uh, and today we are welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Clay. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. And congratulations on 11 months. That's huge. Thank you. Why don't we start by introducing you to the listeners? Tell us a little bit more about you. All right. So I'm Clayton. I am an alcoholic. Um, as of right now, I have like three, three years and about like six months, I think, of sobriety. I was born and raised in South Carolina. Um, moved out to the Midwest about six years ago. Found um, AA the other 12-step programs, rehab, everything in Nebraska um, about five years ago, six years ago. Um, and then three and a half years ago, it kind of clicked and just been working a steady program since then. Excellent. Well, let's, uh, why don't we then dive into a little bit more about like what your journey with al- alcohol and addiction was like, you know, and then what happened and what it's like now. Yeah, for sure. So. What it was like, um, I was kind of thinking about it earlier today. And I think one of the big key things I kind of realized um, was that alcohol has always been in my life. Or um, I did grow up with a addicted family. Um, and then they dabbled in a lot more hardcore things here and there. So there was always some kind of like stimulant depressant whatever whatever lingering around um i grew up in a very unconventional household i was actually raised by my grandmother majority of my life until i turned 18 um my mom was there until i was 12 and then she sadly passed away from chronic diseases um And unfortunately, she was an alcoholic. I never seen her practice her alcoholism, but it was there, was the thing. Um, And it never really clicked for me until I got into the programs and rehab that like this is a very hereditary disease. This is a very um, insidious illness that like it could potentially affect every part of your family. And for me, 
I, I have noticed it nowadays. I have noticed it, but yeah, my, my dad was an alcoholic as well. Even though I never knew of him, I knew about him more than I knew of him or we never had a relationship, but he was known as an alcoholic. Unfortunately, um, he did lose his life to, um, just sickness but one of the big main factors was alcoholism did take a chunk of his health um but even growing up like alcohol was around the 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 partying was there and so i kind of knew like from a young age this is what adults do to have fun to you know to grieve to whatever relax and this was always like a magical elixir type of situation for me where it was like, I can't wait until I can actually do that. Um, and I remember growing up and like sneaking beers and stuff like that at like 14, 15, um, sneaking shots, stuff like that. And I just thought that was, that was it. Life had, I had found my meaning. You know what I mean? Like, um, things just started to like click. I thought I was the funniest person in the room. I thought I was the smartest person in the room. I thought I was the, the most attractive, like all those things that we tell ourselves alcohol brings us, um, all those things that we, we tell ourselves that we can do when we have a drink or I can't wait to have a drink so I can relax or talk to this person or go do these things. Um, and it kind of re, um, was rewiring my brain, even at those young ages where it was like, can't wait for the next time. Can't wait to go to the next party. Um, and even when I was like 18 and not binge drinking in the later years, um, the more insidious part of my addiction, I was still um, grasping onto any and all alcohol that I could have for that moment. Um, and then it got really bad when I moved out, turned 18, got away from my family, my whatever freedom plus time uh, just wasn't a good equation for me. I met somebody, we got in a relationship. And it's probably like leading into a couple more of your questions. And I'm sorry, but my first gay relationship was how I came out to most of my family. Um, so it was like, I couldn't tell them, but I'm going to show them. And there was some people that I did tell, um, but majority of my family didn't know. Um, and then there was like a couple of instances with, some family members that didn't like it. I know my grandmother, she was one of the ones, one of my uncles that I spent a short summer with actually tried to get me into, um, a very watered down conversion therapy in South Carolina. Um, as bad as that sounds, I don't remember it a lot because it was so quick and short because I kind of knew like, um, tell them what they want to hear. Don't tell them any big facts. Like they found certain things on my computer and that alarmed them. And I, you know, I was just experimenting. It was all just for show, nothing big, whatever. So I breezed through that. 
Um, but it was still a very rocky, like, relationship with my family up until, um, a couple of years ago when I actually did get sober. Um, but yeah, when I was in that relationship, I was binge drinking all the time, every day. Um, hardcore, like, wouldn't eat, didn't want anything to eat, would kill my vibe. Um, things like that. Anyways, um, it wasn't until, um, I got into the program, I kind of realized all those things. Um, and I am not quite sure when my relationship kind of hit that alcoholic alcoholism stage because I can't diagnose anybody else, but um, they do, they did show signs of alcoholism. They couldn't go without a drink, at least one drink a day. They couldn't go out without a bottle in the freezer, stuff like that. Um, And then with my genetics, it just was all downhill from there. Um, We parted ways about two years after the beginning of the relationship. And that kind of took a toll on my alcoholism. That's the first like big relationship I was in. That was the first like out and proud moments for me in um, conservative South Carolina. Um, but then I, I kind of fell back on my family because some of them were very accepting stuff like that. Um, so I was bouncing around from place to place after that, partly because, um, I moved out of my apartment and partly because I couldn't keep a job. I was losing jobs. Um, that, that's another sign of my addiction. Um, and then just bouncing around from house to house, family member to family member until I was at my, um, aunt's house one night, she got fed up with me, kicked me out. I, uh, started calling everybody in my phone that I was friends with. They would let me stay on their couch, like for a night or two, um, still couldn't stay sober still was drinking just as hard. Um, I wound up in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is only about a 30 minute drive from my hometown. So it's not that big of a distance, but that was the first time out of my hometown. Um, just like alone. Um, the friends on my cat on, I was the friend on their couch, but there was never really like a solidarity. It was like, They're doing me a favor. Um, So I manipulated my way from couch to couch in Charlotte. Um, Been shrinking just as much because I'm 30 minutes away from home. My family doesn't want to talk to me. Whatever, whatever. Um, Just a big pity party for a couple months. And then I moved out to Nebraska via my alcoholism. Kind of manipulated one of my friends out here and letting me stay, but it was also like they were reaching their hand out and I took the opportunity as well. Cause, um, I did think like a lot of us, a geographical change will solve all my problems. 
problems. And when I found a job, got sober for a couple weeks, then it just all fell apart again. I couldn't stop drinking, started bouncing around from couch to couch from all the friends that I made up over here in Nebraska. Um, and then, of course, the people that I, the friends that I made out in Nebraska, I, I had to make sure that they were um, partiers. They, they had alcohol, they had a stash, things like that. Um, and then that just wasn't healthy either. It got to the point where I was in and out of, uh, like a detox center. Um, I was like a part of a crisis center a couple of times. Um, like I would get sober for a couple months, check myself into rehab, um, do like their detox programs, stuff like that. Um, until, uh, three and a half years ago, I went to rehab one last time after not, um, being able to control my drinking, woke up in my empty apartment. No, the lights were off because I guess I didn't pay the bill, had a barely enough charge on my phone to start calling people, no money. Like that's where my alcoholism takes me every time is the absolute bottom of the barrel, no food, no money, no shower, um, all the, all those things. Um, I finally called somebody that I knew from one of my previous stints in sobriety and rehab. They called the cops. They got me into our detox center one last time. From there, I went to rehab again. And then something just clicked. Um, I guess it was one of the conversations with the medical, um, providers at a rehab and they just had to tell me the God's honest truth one day and was like, you are probably one of the worst cases that I've ever seen. And she's worked with this rehab for decades on decades. And I, I needed to hear that honestly, because like, I, I have lived that experience and that wasn't the first time that I've been told something like that, but it was like the first time that it actually made it through my brain. And that was the first time it actually like, if I don't stop, I'm going to die. Um, so I completed the rehab program. Um, shout out to the bridge. That's, um, so if anybody's in the Nebraska area, highly recommend slide and scale fee, all those good things. Nothing but positive feedback for that place. Nothing but a positive um, experience there. Um, and I actually volunteered to stay in there as long as I could. Um, I racked up a large bill. I did not care. I knew I was fixing my life. I knew I was getting better day by day. And I got to incorporate AA, more sober friends, more, more sober time. Um, all those things into my life until I got into a sober living situation, um, which I've been in ever since. Uh, the couch I'm sitting on um, is in the sober house that I help um, manage. Right now I'm the sitting president. I go to meetings. Um, there's a collective in Lincoln of around 13, 14 houses of just sober 
sober people that um, live together. We go to meetings together. We sit down and eat together. And we just really incorporate principles and the spiritual aspect of the programs that we go to into our living situation. Um, I don't know if there's Oxford houses in Florida. I'm pretty sure there are. There's 3,200 of them. I found out the other day. Um, my city has 14, like I said, and just been staying sober ever since then. Yeah. And what would you say some of the positive changes have been in your life since finding sobriety? Everything, honestly, like when alcoholism took it to the, the hell's gate, like knocking on death's door. And so anything in sobriety is better than the nothing I had in addiction. But I, I, I don't want to brag, but I really have transformed my life in a complete 180. I have a 401k now. I have a stable living environment. I have friends that check on me. I check on friends. My family calls me. I call my family. Uh, yeah, I, I get to see the things that program and um, other sober people have told me that I can have. And I, I'm getting to see it. That's excellent and very inspiring. Now, looking back, how do you feel your sexuality played a role in your addiction? Um, well, I grew up in the South, so that automatically puts a target on anybody back. Like, if you're not following the strict Bible Belt um, morals and uh, religious doctrines that most of the South is still being ran by. Um, it, it puts a damper on anybody that wants to be different. Um, I do remember at a young age realizing that like being gay was a thing. I did, I didn't have word for it, but I knew I was. I remember like, of the first crush and wondering if something's wrong. So I remember the first religious sermon, um, bringing any homosexuality, anything dealing with the LGBT, bringing that up and condemning it. And I remember hiding certain things like mannerisms I wouldn't raise my voice a certain pitch. I would tuck my hands into my pants. Um, I I wouldn't make direct eye contact with certain people when they were talking about certain subjects. Um, and just kind of basing every decision I made in the South off of fear. And it wasn't necessarily fear of um, just being queer, it was just the fear of being different. Um, because I also, um, because of all the religious trauma, realized that I was going to be an atheist at a, at a younger age than some. Um, and I do re remember being 12 and kind of praying the gay away. Remember all that stuff, but I never really correlated 
um, sexuality to addiction um, until I finally got sober and kind of realized that like I do have like a queerness about me that is never going to go away. I drink to hide it. I drink to bring it out. I drink to connect with other queer people in the community. Um, And I think when I was in active addiction, the, the moral of my drinking or the end game of my drinking was to just be accepted and to um, be a part of a community. And getting sober, I found out that I can have all that without a drink, without a stimulant, without a a depressant. Um, And it's just such a blessing that even Nebraska has at least one gay 12-step program in it that I get to be a part of, that accepts me, that wants me there, and really teaches anybody that walks through the door um, that being different isn't a disability or a handicap, uh, even in uh, Nebraska. And I'm so glad I get to be a part of that nowadays. Yeah. I mean, have you found with that like a new kind of community, would you say, with your sexuality and your sobriety? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I when I got sober, it was a main focus to just incorporate those things I tried to hide into my daily life. And so um, the first six months of being sober in my sober living home, I uh, wanted to do drag and I got to do that. And my roommates came out and supported me, and, uh, things like that. Yeah. And what are some practices that you use in your daily life to help keep you sober? Nowadays, I, I kind of incorporate everything I've learned, um, on the spiritual level, those, um, spiritual ideals that the program kind of teaches us like honesty, open-mindedness, willingness. Um, I kind of incorporate that into everyday life. Like if I uh, didn't do the dishes or something like that, I, I at least try and tell my roommates, Hey, I'm so sorry. I didn't do the dishes. Uh, when I get home, my amends to you is I will clean up the kitchen. Um, or, I'm just honest with everybody around me. Like I, I just um, subconsciously do it nowadays. Um, and even just the other week, I had to be up, up front and honest with my job and had to tell them that uh, I will be leaving. I'm putting, this is my last shift. Um, I wasn't comfortable watching some things, some business practices, and it's really affecting my integrity as a sober person, as somebody that works in the recovery community, what I saw wasn't right. And I, I feel proud about who I am today because I, I think I incorporate honesty and all the other principles into my daily life. Um, I always try and talk to somebody sober at least once a day. 
somebody in recovery, um, reach out, um, and just check in, check in with myself, check in with other people and really be a part of life. I think that's what I've gotten out of recovery is that I get to be a part of life again, even though it's not perfect. Yeah, it certainly is not, but it's something that we learned to live with. And if you can give one piece of advice to someone who's sober, curious, or newly sober, what would it be? I would say, let's see, that's a really good one. Um, I would say, what is the worst that can happen by trying it? Um, and then I would, I would, the formal way of saying that is don't leave before the miracle happens. Um, and I, I truly believe that I try and tell that to the newcomer as much as I can. Um, because if the program has worked for me, if sober living has worked for me, it could definitely work for anybody else that puts even a drop of, um, willingness into it. And, um, yeah, don't leave before the miracle happens. Yeah. And uh, that, that's always a good one that I love to hear. Um, in addition to that, I mean, in recovery, we generally love our step traditions and sayings, like the little pieces we hang on to. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you like to live by? Keep it simple is is definitely a big one. Yeah. Uh, when I want to overanalyze why somebody said something to me or how I'm going to react to a certain situation, I just have to keep it simple. Like... How do I know that certain things are going to act out a certain way unless I ask somebody or unless I do something and things like that? So I got to keep life very simple. If I don't drink today, it might be a good day. And the chances are even better than having a good one if I don't drink. Yeah, And I just kind of live by that nowadays. Excellent. And tell the listeners if they were interested in finding you or following you on socials or anything like that, what would be one way to, to find you? Uh, so, yeah, um, I will blow my anonymity out the water. I am on Facebook, Clayton, um, or if you search Clay with the K, Montgomery, I am on there. I'm always posting random funny things. Um, showing that I can have fun in sobriety um, on Facebook all the time. I do have a TikTok account that I, I want to start up using and correlating some more sobriety things into it um, at OMG Clay. I am on Instagram under the same handle. Um, but yeah. Excellent. Um I'll be sure to include those in the show notes for people to find you. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure getting to know you better. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of Gay A. Uh, please rate and review if you found this information helpful. And if you're interested in getting involved with the show or guesting and sharing your story, you can find me on Instagram at Gay A Podcast or email me directly at gayapodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us wherever you're listening so you get new episodes when they come out every Monday and Thursday. Until that time, stay sober, friends.